So Lauren and I have talked a lot before about how we love getting fan mail. Uh, it just makes us feel that much bigger and better than Hello from the Magic Tavern. <laughs> um, <laughs> but no, on a serious note, like it always touches our hearts when people take time out of their day to tweet something nice at us or send us uh, nice emails. And we got, I mean, it's not a competition, but I would say one of the m- most thoughtful and like kind of well-researched emails that we've ever gotten certainly, last week. Certainly the longest, which I say in a good way. Yes. Um, it, it gave us a lot to think about, so I'd like to read excerpts of it. Uh, this is from, and I deeply apologize if I butcher your name, this is from Agatha Rodriguez Souza, who lives in Brazil, uh, and she has said some very great things to us that I like to take point by point. So first, uh, in the email, she kind of dunks on us for missing some things in the episode signals that we talked about two weeks ago which is legit. She says, how could you not talk about an important thing that is Shadow Weaver told haunting stories to Adora when she was a child. I mean, and then four exclamation points. Yes. So very deliberate abuse behavior, abuser behavior. And we definitely should have pointed it out because it is a huge traumatizing formative part of Adora's childhood. Also, it's just, it's a really funny kind of runner in the episode. And I think, of the three plot lines, we gave the least attention to the that one. So you're right to call us out on that, and I'm sorry. Uh, she also mentions the interplay between Entrapta and science politics. Um, she herself is a uh, – she studies biochemical engineering, uh, which is incredible. And she says she has friends who study botany and chemistry, and they've had this debate. And she can relate – uh, with Entrapta's excitement with her research, which is is cool, and I think that's something else we'll talk about today as well. Uh, then more seriously, she writes, I'd like to say I really appreciated you started the episode talking about abortion. I'm Brazilian, but I'm aware of what's happening in the USA, and we're also going through some issues here in Brazil about this subject. You have Trump, we have Bolsonaro, and a huge part of religious fundamentalists in our Congress. Currently, our law allows the abortion in cases of rape, when the fetus presents risk to the mother's life or when the fetus has no brain. Uh, I don't know if there's a specific word in English for this. I'm sorry. I also don't know. Lauren, you might know. Oh, I guess not the scientific term, but I'm wondering if she's saying if the pregnancy is non-viable in general or if it's specifically for that one condition. But either way. Medical people, feel free to correct us. We'll read your email. Uh, she writes, there are some religious people in Congress that want to change this law and turn abortion into illegal in any situation. The mother would be obligated to carry the pregnancy even though the baby is dead inside her. So you probably are right, Lauren, in your understanding. Uh, and furthermore, there's also a law project that gives rapist duties as fathers, like they would be obligated to pay alimony to the woman they raped in case the woman gets pregnant. We are experiencing not only in Brazil or USA, but as far as I know, in the whole world, a growing of fundamentalism and conservatism, as well as intolerance. And having people to talk about it as openly as you did is really great, and we have to discuss the problem. I didn't read that last sentence to pat us on the back. I just thought it was a nice capper to the paragraph. But the rest of what she's saying is obviously very important. Yeah, that really resonates with me because sometimes uh, when I get kind of down about the current political situation in America or you hear people say, love it or leave it, I wonder where would I go? Because this kind of thing is happening all over the world. We're seeing a rise of white supremacy and religious fundamentalism all over. And we have to deal with the problem where we live, I think. Absolutely. And Lauren and I are often very U.S.-centric because that's what we know. That's what our media gives to us. And that's our bubble. But we very much appreciate uh, 
appreciate's not the right word because it sucks that it's happening in Brazil, but it, like it's nice to know that in a way we're all in this together. So again, uh, Agatha, we super appreciate this letter, and we'd be remiss if we didn't end it the way you ended it. Uh, she writes, here is a Brazilian curiosity that I wanted to share with you. I love this. Back in the 80s and 90s, the original He-Man and She-Ra were popular here. And there was this children's presenter called Juza, that's X-U-X-A, that also had kids' songs. And there's one about She-Ra. Here's the link to the song. And I also translated it to English. So we're going to put the song as our intro song for the episode. Let me tell you, it is tremendous. It sounds like like an 80s like metal track. It's got like these... like. Um, really tight guitars that are doing like pinched harmonics and shit but the lyrics are like literally about She-Ra so the chorus is for Grayskull She-Ra introduce me to He-Man your brother is really cute and I'm all good for Grayskull She-Ra He-Man is a great and hot guy sorry if I'm being naughty XOXO bye bye she also includes that there was another song by this same artist Juja that included lots of 80s cartoon references and says that She-Ra is making out with uh, Skeletor. So whoever this artist is, I'm really excited to hear their work right now. Welcome back to She-Ra Progressive of Power. My name is Lauren. My name is Eric. And it's crazy to start that intro off. I never get to do it. What an inspiration. How wonderful I'm feeling right now. 10 out of 10, A+. Everyone at home, please send Lauren tweets complimenting her on her intro. You're really pushing for fan mail this week, and I love it. I just want validation. (laughs) What can I say? It is a day when Eric gets validation. You know why? Stop. It's Eric's birthday. Stop. It is. I already gave you a present. I came to your party. And we're just going to make this whole podcast into a party, too. It, it is a party. It's really nice of you to record on your special day, just like we did on Valentine's Day. Right. I was, I was remarking, because, spoiler, this episode comes out tomorrow, and I was like, Lauren didn't realize that we were right up on our release deadline. And I said, well, this isn't the first time this has happened that I have to record and then go home and edit. That also happened on Valentine's Day. And Lauren's like, great, I'm not happier that this has happened more than once. Yeah, the fact that we have an unhealthy pattern doesn't make... <laughs> Make me feel better about the situation. But also on Valentine's Day, I had a date after I was editing, so I really had to rush through that. Uh, spoiler, we are not seeing each other anymore, so was it worth it to rush through the edit? Our guest is clapping. You did give such a nice speech, though, about like how happy you were that it was happening for once, and I, I don't think that well, changes. No, I, well, my thing, what I said in the speech was that even though this was my first Valentine's Day with a partner, I, I wanted to let people know, like, the tri- it like it gets better. Like, don't be sad if you don't have one. Because people put so much on, like, being partnered. And why? Like, you're cool if you're single, too. It doesn't matter. Right. And it gets better yeah. doesn't mean that it had to stick. Like, right. It was I, still, it's still better, even if that one didn't work out. Yeah, there's always the next one. 
we're all at three very different stages in our relationship for Abelos, the three people at this table right now. Yeah, that's we don't have to talk about it. I think we are, though, because this is literally the relationship episode. We brought yep. in a relationship person to talk about relationships. I'm very excited. I'm willing to talk about my situation. I might cry, but I'll talk about it. All right. Well, let's get real. So we're discussing the Shira episode Whiteout today. And when I watched this for the first time, I thought very clearly this is the episode where interpersonal dynamics are so at the forefront. We have to talk to someone who's an expert in them. Luckily, in the Chicago scene, there are two such women who host the podcast called Friendshipping. One of them I know is a Shira fan as well, and so she was kind enough to join us today. Everybody, please welcome Trin Garitano. Woo! You can't see it, yes. but she has a sword in I the have studio. A sword. She has a classic Shira sword from the eighties. From, from the eighties. If you put water in it, it, it the glitter moves up and down. So uh, just to give our audience a sense of what's happening, it is a. It's about two and a half feet long. I would say. Sure. I don't really know how long a foot is anymore. Plastic sword from the eighties. It's a little bit broken. It is an, a genuine Shira sword, and it used to have. Well, it still has pink glitter in there, but it used to have like water in there, so that like, you would like you know like move it around, move it up and down, and it would look all magical and stuff. And this was my favorite toy as a child. And uh, very recently, um, the last five years, my brother un- like recovered it for me from like my cousin's garage sale, and uh, and I thought it was only appropriate for me to for the parabrace go. Yeah. This is exciting. Trin's our first guest who's brought uh, a prop, and that means the world. So Trin hosts a pod, or co-hosts a podcast called Friendshipping, which is literally a show where people uh, write in asking questions, uh, asking for advice from hosts Trin and Jen. And it's been going for, what, five years now? Uh, like four, four, three, four years. I think we're actually closing in on our, like, 200th episode. Wow. We've, we've never, ever celebrated any milestones. Not any anniversary, not our 50th, 100th. So, so I'm definitely just guessing. <laughs> That's so rad. Lauren got, uh, was weirded out that I didn't make a note of our 50th episode, so we had to do something at 51. Yeah, we blew right through it. <laughs> <laughs> and I wouldn't call what, I wouldn't call mentioning it doing something we didn't really celebrate. Well, now we're celebrating 52 with Trin. I feel it counts. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I love your show. You have quite a following. You also kind of have branched out of the podcasting world. So you release friendshipping postcards with Jen, which I'm surprised I haven't given you one, Lauren. They're just like nice cards that you can give your friends if either you want to say something nice to them or maybe you kind of messed up and you want to apologize in a cute and clever way. Well, now I'm surprised too, now that I know this was on the table the whole time. Oh, Trin. I'm going to write in next episode. <laughs> I need to know how to handle this. Podcast at gmail.com. Yeah, no, it's, um, uh, we are both really afraid of mail, like most millennials, mail, M-A-I-L. I mean, neither is fair. Totally. I mean, like, <laughs> worthwhile fears to have. Um, but uh, if there, if, when the mail doesn't include an envelope, there's no chance it could be like a student loan bill. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why we did the postcards. Uh, but yeah, no, we, I have plenty of... Uh, I'm so sorry, Lauren, for what I have done on this podcast. <laughs> for I like the idea that if it is in a, if it's in an envelope, there's always a chance it's a student loan bill. Yes. So it's like pink, and it's got like Pikachu stickers on it. But it's still those companies yeah. are sneaky these days. Yeah. You just don't know. Brands have evolved. It's the only way to get us to open mail is to full on trick us. Yeah. Like I opened something that. 
It didn't look like a bill. It didn't look like it, it was like it looked handwritten. The address looked handwritten. Oh yeah, I've seen no. those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're just trying uh, to get in there uh, in whatever way that they can. So Mohila's like, pay your bills, mm-hmm. but they're scratch and sniff. <laughs> <laughs> I would open that. Speaking Same. of toxic relationships, which all millennials have to male, mm-hmm. I love this episode because I think it goes really in depth to the actual toxicity that both Seahawk deals with and Scorpio deals with in completely different ways. Oh, man. We're getting right to the meat of the show. Can I ask Listen, you a few more questions about friendshipping first? You can, but Eric, okay, I, here's something I need you to know. Um, I've prepared my whole life for this episode <laughs> of this podcast. Like, I loved Shira as a child. It came out, so I'm, I was born in 85. So I have a brother who's like three years older than me, and he was very much into He-Man. I was into She-Ra, you know. It, back in the day, She-Ra was He-Man's little sister, so it was like, you know, whatever. Um, and so when the new She-Ra came out, like, I cannot tell you how on board I was and how, like, an event it is in my life when, like, new episodes come out. Mm-hmm. And I'm so stoked. It has... Everything. It has gay, color, <laughs> pop jams, friendships, toxic relationships, <laughs> conflicts handled healthfully, conflicts and handled unhealthily. Like I am I'm in it. Eric. All your I'm favorite ready. characters. <laughs> including Well, I think that means we have to go into the episode. It's about time. She's ready. All right, let's do it. I'm chomping at the bit. So we're covering Whiteout, which yes, this is the relationship episode. So I'll give a super quick recap. Glimmer, Bo, and Adora consigned Seahawk to take them to basically Etheria's North Pole, where Entrapta, Scorpia, and Catra are mining for some, like, first ones tech. Uh, Catra finds the little disc that infected She-Ra with evil She-Ra in season one and puts it on She-Ra. And sure enough, it does the same thing. But this time, it also kind of infects some local wildlife that happens to be first ones tech. And so there's, like, all these crazy big evil bugs that are robots storming the the science citadel. But what this episode really is, is as as Trin already noted, a chance for us to get the internality of Scorpia and uh, Seahawk because they both spend this entire episode pining after people who they feel don't give them the time of day, Catra and, uh, and Mermista. So we've kind of skirted around this for the whole time we've been doing the show. But this week, we're really going to talk about like what relationships do these characters have. And so that's where we're at. So I'll start by saying this. Um, it's been a recurring theme on our show that our guests, whether they're our friends or people we don't know or people from DreamWorks, love Scorpia. <laughs> Do you similarly love Scorpia? I have a complex relationship with Scorpia. <sighs> so Scorpia, I, I see a lot of myself in, to be honest. So Scorpia, to me, I, I, I feel like a lot of people think that Entrapta is the, the resident geek. But I disagree. Just like in my in my years of like you know going to like fan conventions and things like that, Scorpia is that part of us that the tryhard that wants to be loved is deeply insecure. But unlike Seahawk, she's actually really toxic about it. Uh, Catra continually says no. Catra continually says put me down. Uh, and Scorpia, I, I understand that it comes from a place of insecurity and that, which is forgivable. But ultimately, Scorpia is really not a good friend. Uh, so oh, this is such a hot, hot take. <laughs> I love this because people are going to get people are going to flip out about this, and I'm excited for it. 
email me only if you agree with me, <laughs> Trin, T-R-I-N dot Garitano, G-A-R-R-I-T-A-N-O at gmail.com. I will fucking fight you. <laughs> do, do we, do we swear You can swear, it's fine, yes, yeah. sorry. I should ask that. No, it's started. totally fine. But, I, but here's the thing. Like, I would also say all of these things are true. But that doesn't make scare. Uh, that doesn't make Scorpio like a bad person or or a bad character. Especially because like you know, good characters can also like be evil. And let's be real, Scorpio is evil. Scorpio is on the wrong side, regardless of whether we want to explain that away as like, oh, she means well. But how many times have you heard that said about a neckbeard dude at Gen Con? <laughs> He means very many. That's true. He's harmless. We all understand him. Right. Uh, I do, before we get too deep into this, want to read a quick portion of a fan letter because we're kind of in the middle of it already. And some of what you're saying is, I think, maybe in opposition to this letter. Uh, So if you don't mind, hello, JB. Uh, JB wrote to us before we even started recording this uh, round of episodes. He reached out to us like right when the Netflix stuff came out and he wanted to talk to us about it. We've already injected some of his thoughts into earlier episodes, but we're actually going to acknowledge the letter this episode. Quote, The Seahawk episode really hit home with me as both he and Scorpia were dealing with feelings of jealousy and loneliness, yet still remaining genial. I really hope they give us some Scorpia backstory, or better yet, develop her character to where she starts to question why she's with the Horde. She seems to be too good-hearted to be with the Horde. Or is that possibly a statement about how many of our loved ones seem to be too good-hearted to be supporting Trump and the GOP? In any event, maybe there's hope for Scorpia, but I fear Entrapta may be too far gone to be saved. Wow. So there's some stuff in there already about is she good, is she evil? Can you be evil but good-hearted? And there's also some stuff about, you know, this nice guy culture that I think you're already brushing up against. So please carry on, having heard that. Oh, yeah, no, for sure. Um, I... I agree with him that this that Seahawk and Scorpia deal with really similar issues of insecurity and loneliness and, and feeling rejected. Um, however, Seahawk is I, I, and this could just be my watching of it or maybe I wasn't paying attention, but it seems to me like Seahawk uh, Seahawk genuinely tries to be kind and he puts people into dangerous situations to show off, which is probably his worst quality. But ultimately, he does that out of insecurity. He doesn't really put anybody in danger. Um, Scorpio is very touchy. Um, and I really love what he said about how we don't believe badness in people that we love. But the truth is that every monster has a friend, you know, uh, for whatever reason that they do. Uh, and I'm not saying Scorpia is a monster. I think that honestly, so what, the question you asked me at the beginning is like, do I like Scorpia? And she's a really interesting, nuanced, full-fledged character. Um, but I, she's not a good friend. That is, that is fascinating. And Kind of my ultimate question for you, but we're already diving into it, is so this episode kind of gives Adora a chance to be drunk Adora again. Oh, yeah. And, and in her fit, she kind of has this very, like, you can hear the full house music behind it, which I won't <laughs> score the episode with this time, where um, Seahawk and Scorpio are wondering, is there something wrong with us? And Adora kind of, uh, she validates them. And she's like, no, you guys are great friends. Like, everyone should want to be your friend kind of stuff. Did you buy that moment? Because I, thinking about it, I was kind of like, I know that she's just trying to like buff up her buddies, but I don't think they're a hundred percent in the clear. You know, like they have things they can learn. 
I I agree with you. I I think that so Seahawks complaint of she never invites me out with her friends. Is it because I'm not cool? Is it because of this? Is it because of this? He has insecurity and Scorpia is needy. And I and I think that she was drunkenness of being like everybody. She's being a drunk white girl in the club, and that's okay. <laughs> yeah. She's had a little bit too much uh, Chardonnay. No big deal. Um, I don't think we can trust her judgment here. Yeah. For so many reasons. Well, I think the thing about the drunk white girl stereotype uh, is that that person is overly honest. That person also is very black and white. There's not a lot of nuance to that stereotype. Yep. And so when she says things like, you are good people and good friends, you know, maybe that's sort of the majority of her belief. That's like an important takeaway from her belief. But it's not, it's, it, what the truth is, is too nuanced for, you know, drunk Adora or a drunk person. Right. Like, I think having been through my fair share of toxic relationships, you can be a good person and maybe you're even a good friend to some people sometimes, but you can still be exhibiting toxic behaviors or you could have a toxic dynamic with specifically one other person. And uh, in this case, there's, there's a lot of people who I think we've seen through other episodes and through the friendships in other episodes and the dynamics in other episodes. They're good people and they're capable of being good friends, but also capable of toxic behavior. I have a theory that's kind of um, piggybacking off of that. Um, one of the things that we know about Scorpia is that she is a princess and her family had the Black Garnet, gave up the Black Garnet and, and gave it to Hordak. Um, and she also explains that she that her family was one of the, like the first people to meet the horde. And now I'm putting together from the thing that you just said and from the letter, it's almost like Hordak dropped in the middle of polite Mister, uh, Midwestern America, Ohio. <laughs> Hordak dropped down in Ohio, and they were like, oh. Did you want a glass of water? Oh, let me just scooch on over to you there, Hordiac. <laughs> yeah, and and so they 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 give this welcomeness, they give this 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 love to people who don't deserve it, and they are poorly treated. And Scorpia has this in her DNA. She has this in her background. You know that she has uh, she has a lot of abusive relationships. I mean, I don't think that Scorpia's relationship with Hordak is is anything less than abusive, especially because uh, of how isolated she is from all the other princesses. Her runestone is gone, and like, we don't know where her people are. They might all be dead. Yeah, yeah. I and I so I agree with you. I agree with the letter. I think we're going to see more reasons why this is happening. But just like any other person with a traumatic past, some people can still be kind and some people decide to use that as an excuse to be crappy you know um and and which we'll, we'll see what happens with scorpia again i still think she's very nice i think she is not good but i think what like you're casting her as kind of uh, a gender swap like nice guy is very illuminative for me because the, even the way she kind of goes about like asking katra to hang out that's very much like awkward high school dude who actually harbors horrible opinion about women yeah. you know like oh maybe we could like hang out and like play board games or something but like 
we talked about this last episode. There's pretty clear romantic overtones here, right? Like Scorpia seems yeah, to Scorpia, really want to go out with Catra. I Scorpia asks Catra out on a date. I yeah. think I think it's very clear when Scorpia says, "I know we're you know super busy with work and you have a lot going on." I think she's very specifically asking, "Can we have a different type of relationship?" And it is one in which we are going out on dates. Uh, and she kind of turned their work trip into like this weird fantasy of like hooking uh, up with her coworker. Yeah, they're coworkers. Yeah. Like they have a very toxic relationship at work. The way that Scorpia talks out loud about Catra is toxic. She says things like, I know that we have a special bond and deep down she knows that too. Like I'm, I'm, I'm trying not to be too hyperbolic here because once again, like I genuinely do really like Scorpia, but there's something very blurred lines about. I know deep down you mean yes. Right. Yeah, that's really true. And I hadn't put that together before. So this is very exciting for me. <laughs> well, the most the most haunting part about this conversation for me, uh, and I think we kind of all have something like this in our pasts. I can remember when I was the toxic person, too. Yes. I definitely have an ex in college whom I just couldn't let go of. And I basically stalked. Uh, and with uh, Seahawk, Seahawk basically says, you guys are just hanging out with me because I have a boat. I have certainly hung out with people, a younger, more selfish me. Would, that person could give me a ride. I'm going to call them before I call other people. Mm-hmm. Or uh, even what you just cited. I have definitely gone into situations where I have a fantasy idealized, like I'm the hero of this version about how I think events are going to play out, definitely at other people's expense. And I think we all try to grow out of that. We all try to be better than that. And what's so wonderful about this cartoon is that we have people who are still such big fans of Scorpia and such big fans of Seahawk because just because these people have exhibited those toxic behaviors, they're not posed in this show like terrible, irredeemable people. They're completely lovable and worthy of love and also doing these things. Well, I'm going to make a big leap now because I'm putting together that like I, I'm sure that I was Scorpia in high school and college and probably for years after college. It took me a long time to figure out how to like relate to people I was attracted to as people and to not be a creepy weirdo. <laughs> Um, I wonder if so many people love Scorpia because they see themselves in her too, in part, and like this neediness and this this need to belong in like a sweet but also kind of creepy way. And I wonder if there's a way in which Scorpia teaches us to be kind to the parts of ourselves that we don't like, that we wish weren't there. Eric, you like crack this wide open. (laughs) Because so in my opinion, Shira excels when we are mining very common teenage fuck-ups. Because here's the truth. There is very little counter-programming when it comes to things like objectification, consent, thinking about somebody else as a whole person with needs. Like, there, there's very little that is telling our teenagers how to act. I think we, we, are, we were all 17 to 19 and just, like, fucking up left and right. Like, because yeah. who was going to tell us otherwise? Right. And I, and I think that they that the show provides that counter-programming. That show provides this this example of, ex- Lauren, I can't tell you how much I agree with you, that like nobody here is a monster. Like they're messing up and they are given a lot of room, I think, to be redeemed. I don't think that there's a bad person on the show that could not find a redemption arc. 
maybe Hordak. Oh, yeah, but I mean, you know, yeah. he's a big, he doesn't he's want He's not one. a real character, even. <laughs> well, and, and also, like, so, okay. Oh, wait. So, okay, I'm, I'm going to kind of shift gears, if that's okay. Yeah, yeah please. And, oh, obviously, it's your show, so shift to whatever gear you want to shift. Oh, no, you're driving now, Trin. Beep, beep, vroom, vroom. <laughs> so, um... I don't. So I was talking to my partner about this, and I've been waiting to be on the show to ask you guys what you think about this. I feel like it was very clear that what Mara did was leave the planet in another dimension where the Horde isn't. And very specifically, Hordak is trying to open a portal to bring the, the planet back into the, the, that universe and annihilate everybody. He does not agree with me, and I feel like that was really well laid out, that Mara was never crazy. She just found the only possible way to get rid of the Horde. Am I insane? I'm sorry. I didn't at all put that together. Like... Obviously, Mara strands them in Despondos, and Hordak is from somewhere, but I didn't yes. connect those threads. And I think hearing that, I totally believe that. And I think Mara does the whole, like, Anakin Skywalker thing, right? Or, like, she's too attached to her friends and her loved ones, and so, so she does this, like, act that they think is unthinkable, but to her, it's the only way to salvage them. But then Hordak figures out a way around it. My only question is, and we're going to talk about this next episode, and it's the, to me the big mystery of the season, what is Hordak looking for when he makes his jumps? Is he looking for the way back out? I don't know. Yeah, the chronology of it. So I completely agree that we're going to learn more about Mara and that she just lost it and destroyed things and was crazy and unhinged for no reason. I don't think that's it. I think yes. she's going to be very intentional and very specific. And that's also just such a narrative people tell about women that they don't understand or are afraid of. Oh, she's crazy. Because okay. of emotional attachments. Yeah. 100%. Yes, oh, yes, yes, yes. Thank you for having me on the show. But the, <laughs> the order things happened in, especially with Hordak... Is, is my question mark. Like, did he follow them there or did he get trapped on that side with them this whole time? Um, when we were in L.A., there was a little bit of talk about the set pieces in the Fright Zone, you know, the crashed ships, and we're going to find out sort of what led to that environment. And so I think we're very close, yeah. but sort of what the inciting incident was still has a lot of question marks, and I can't wait. Just... Keep digging. Hordak is not going to be happy if we waste his time and come back empty-handed. A scientist never returns empty-handed. There's always data! I'm not here freezing my tail off for data. Find me something useful or we're packing up and heading home. This place gives me the creeps. Well, while you we're know? talking about Hordak's relationships, I really enjoy watching him with Entrapta and JB's letter saying Entrapta may be too far gone to be saved is a really interesting way of framing it because Entrapta seems pretty happy with her situation. A lot of the relationships in this show and a lot of the struggles in this show happen because people don't feel like they belong and they're willing to give a lot of leash and a lot of leniency to whomever makes them feel like they belong. Uh, and... Entrapta is now the most understood and the most embraced by the main villain of the show. And so we're saying, you know, is Scorpia a good friend? Is Scorpia a bad friend? Uh, Hordak, I don't think, is a good friend. But Entrapta's kind of being a good friend to him. She's really going the extra mile for Hordak because 
Hordak makes her feel useful and proud of herself. What I thought was really interesting in this episode is when Bo and Glimmer get the, uh, they kind of get the drop on uh, Entrapta and Catra, but by accident. <laughs> and Entrapta's just happy to see them. She's like, oh, hi, guys. Like, never does it cross her mind that, like, they're going to fight. So I don't know if she still fully understands the consequences of her choices. I Maybe she just disagree. doesn't. Oh, you disagree? Oh, okay. Oh, gosh, I wholeheartedly disagree. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think if so much more than Scorpia, Entrapta is the MAGA hat wearer. Entrapta is like, <laughs> that's such a harsh thing to say. No, about it. bring like, it. This is why we're like, here. The thing about Entrapta is that, like, I, I think we can all probably agree that science is her, like, guiding light. Mm -hmm. She is deep, true neutral for science. And there, and I think it, I don't know if it's Bo or Glimmer that make the point of can't you see what's happening? Like this is the horde. They kill people. They killed Glimmer's dad. If you can't give up the horde for killing your friend's father just because you love data, and she has an incredible line in the show, which is something like, um, "There's no such thing as failure in science. There's only data." Like she's this yeah. Is a a I wrote this one so. down. She said, "A scientist never returns empty-handed. There's always data." I love that. It's inspiring. And on one hand, I think. This line really messes me up, right? Because I think that is a great lesson to teach children who might be really struggling with learning slowly or failing. And there's so much competition and there's so much bullying. And, the, you know, to be able to say there's always a silver lining. There's always something you learned or something you got out of your bad experiences. Like, what a good lesson. On the other hand... You could real there, there's a read of Entrapta, and this is another thing that I think people are going to tweet angrily about us at. <laughs> it's very narcissistic. Yes. And it's like, no matter what goes wrong, no matter what you could accuse me of, no matter how much I botched this, I will find a way to spin it that I came out on top and I am thrilled with myself and you are wrong. And that's like a terrible way to read her, but it's possible. It's possible to just be like, really great science role model or diagnosable narcissist. <laughs> I think that both are true, you know? And like, and I think that her statement about data uh, is such, I, I agree with you. God, what a good thing to tell kids, especially like, you know, because we, I, this is like such a sidebar, but think about how we treat wrong answers in our society and for children. Like, wouldn't it be so much better if we told a kid like, okay, now we know you don't know that. And now you can learn that. Um, that line from Entrapta reminds me of you earlier in the episode when you were talking about, oh, I had a Valentine's Day date. We're not, we're still not together. It's like, but you have that data, and like, and that's true. I think with all the relationships in the show, and I kind of want to see Scorpia learn from the data that she's gathering, and see Hawk too. Um, but to, just to, to bring it back to actually Entrapta, um, Entrapta to me is the most evil character. And that is because she is, she's not a sociopath. She clearly knows when people are getting hurt. She does feel bad when things happen. But, but nobody's life is as important to her as her mission. And that is not, and that's the opposite of Mara. What are you so happy about? Shira won and we didn't get what we came for. The mission was a failure. How are we going to explain this one to Hordak? Failure? This mission was a resounding success. Ta-da! I got the first one's tech! What? What did you even... How long have you had that? A while. But we were having so much fun, I didn't want to say anything. Isn't it amazing? This puppy will be able to power Hordak's portal technology and then some! <laughs> Hordak is going to 
Let's circle back to the other main character in the episode. We talked about him a little bit, but I'd love to get your take on Seahawk. I know we've talked about mass, uh, about toxicity, but I feel like you have more nuanced things to say about Seahawk as well. I love Seahawk so much. And and I also I, and I also see in me a little bit of sexism because I do I know that Seahawk and Scorpia share a lot of characteristics and I think probably because of all of the nose that Catra gives to Scorpia, I hold her much more accountable for that. Um, Seahawk is never like touching somebody without asking. Seahawk is always trying to be helpful and he is actually a deeply capable and kind person. I mean, he's the one who ultimately moves uh, Mermista to join the Princess Alliance. Um, I, I feel like a dick saying this, I'm saying it anyway. I don't think I've ever liked a cis straight male character as much as I really love Seahawk. I, he's charming and like kind. Um, and when he is sad or makes mistakes, it's because of his insecurity. And he never says, deep down where Mista knows that she loves me. He says something like, why am I not cool enough? Like he, he is, I think, correctly putting the lens on himself in a way that Scorpia doesn't. That's fascinating and great i will tell you don't watch the original seahawk episodes of she-ra where he's the token boyfriend for she-ra it's very disappointing he's literally just brought onto the show so that there could be a heteronormative smooching relationship for Mm -hmm. she-ra and that's why i have such beef with him (laughs) and people are always like what do you think of seahawk you sure hate him right and like i have I've not gotten over the residual, like, squeaky feelings from the 80s, but this Seahawk is so much better. And I will say that I will always dislike Seahawk a little bit. Not my fave. He just isn't. But this is the episode where I really, like, got him, and he super clicked for me. Uh, And I I appreciate his role on the show. Adventure! He also had his glowy sword, which was a throwback. Yes, that was very cool. Uh, I will say when Lauren and I were on the plane taking off to L.A., she turned to me and said, Adventure! (laughs) And then she's like, I'm quoting Seahawk, don't tell anybody. (laughs) And I just did. Yeah, you did. Seahawk is like a genuinely like pretty good dude. Seahawk, I think, makes genuine attempts to try to be a better friend and be somebody that people want to hang out with. But here's the truth. I, Seahawk, okay, so I, I've never like actually looked, looked up everybody age, everybody's ages, but the way that Seahawk acts with like our golden trio, I feel like he's probably around like 20. Yeah, he's I was a, thinking like 20, 22. He reads a little older than them, yeah. Right. Seahawk should get some older friends. Yeah, well, <laughs> this episode, kind, kind of to that point, I think this is the first time we see him without Mermista, and that does make it a weird dynamic. So it's like all of the princesses are clearly friends with Mermista, and so to them, Seahawk is Mermista's boyfriend or Mermista's friend or Mermista's whatever they would call him at the time. But I think they'd all choose Mermista over him, like yes. if they had to. And so him hanging out with this group is, I think, a sign of loneliness. And he probably does know that they're not all super compatible. And he knows maybe he should have some older friends, but these are Mermistus people, and who else was available tonight? I'm a pirate! Pirates are the definition of cool. Although you would think I'd get invited to more parties. I mean, you think I'm cool, right? Oh, oh, oh! I'm Seahawk. 
I am, I am. Want to take a guy for granted that I am your man. Unappreciated in all I do. Why can't they see that I'm very cool? Guys, back me up. I'm very cool. One thing I don't recall about the episode, or at least I didn't take notes about it, because I was definitely like gently drinking throughout the whole thing. So like nice. I had five pages of notes in my notebook, and then they very abruptly stopped. Um, I don't recall how Scorpia and Seahawk both ended their the show. Actually, no, excuse me. I do remember how Scorpia ended it. She was literally carrying Catra. And Catra's like kind of blushing, like, oh yeah, like maybe. Yeah, Catra, Catra finally, not to derail the conversation, but I, I wanted to touch on that moment. The way that it's written, I'm not sure how I feel about. Because yeah. we see Catra look up at Scorpia, and S- the first time I watched it, I was like, oh, Catra finally sees her. At last, Scorpia has been noticed. Catra's actually seeing her and listening to her. And now they're going to have this great relationship. But to some of your earlier points, you shouldn't have to like coerce someone into having that with you, you know, sort of pushing and pushing and pushing until you get the cookie that you wanted. (laughs) That's not a good way to end up where we ended up, even if it was a sweet moment. So now I'm really reconsidering it. So I I feel my reading of that scene is that Scorpia finds this confidence and like instead of being very wishy-washy and kind of, you know, needling up to Catra with her her feelings, she she takes charge and does does something to save her friend. And I agree with like your ambivalence in reading it, but how I took it was Catra is appreciating that for once Scorpia is just like doing a thing and not being like weird about it. Well, the line that comes right before is with Seahawk and it's the conversation where they're asking, is anything wrong with us? And what Scorpia says is, I can't seem to break out down her walls. I wish she'd see me as being worth her time too, but gets to... I will always be there for her because that's who I am. And I think the journey we're supposed to take with Scorpia is that Scorpia stops caring if it's reciprocated and stops caring if she, you know, gets exactly what she wants. It's more about the friend or partner that she wants to be and the standard she wants to hold herself to. Whether or not it's a healthy one is like neither here nor there. But maybe Catra notices Scorpia kind of kind of as you say it's not about Catra anymore Scorpia is doing this for herself and that's when she's truly shining um you know it's 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 like everything we've discussed there's a really positive strong way of reading it and then there's kind of a squeaky one and I actually think that's amazing because that's human a hundred percent yeah no I, I do really love that um, so in that moment, I also, I see a correlation where Scorpia is actually taking on a little bit of Seahawk. Now Scorpia is useful to Catra. So like, we also can't overlook the fact that uh, Scorpia has kind of failed Catra kind of over and over again. And Catra is won over in the moment of she succeeded. And regardless of whether it's Scorpia has confidence. She is now kind just because being kind is good and not because of reward, whatever. But, like, let's think about the internal part of Catra, who's just like, oh, I, oh, you're useful now. This is great, you know? 
A big point I wanted to make before we go is that Catra is starting to become Shadow Weaver. Yes! So not only in that moment, I love people when they're most useful to me and I abuse them if they're not, but she's so obsessed with Adora and getting Adora back and bringing Adora back to the Horde to the point where she's compromising her relationships, she's compromising her mission, she doesn't care what Hordak actually wants, and that is exactly why Shadow Weaver ended up failing. And so She-Ra shows up and tries to use Shadow Weaver as a taunt uh, She-Ra doesn't know what's going on back in the Fright Zone, doesn't realize that Shadow Weaver's in captivity. Uh, and not only is she not caught up on like the literal status of who's placed where on the chessboard, but she doesn't realize that like Katra is Shadow Weaver now. Mm-hmm. And there's so much in this episode about becoming your abuser. Oh, it's chilling. And we're going to see that more next time too. I'm going to, I'm so curious to see one, how Katra and Scorpia's relationship is going to evolve during the break, you know? Um, and what will see Seahawk do? Um, like, I, narratively, what I would really love to see is for Seahawk to learn that thing from Scorpia of like, you know what, I'm gonna be good and be kind because it's the right thing to do, but also I am cool. You know, I am secure in this and I can find other friends. And I wanna see Scorpia say like, Hey, Katra, like, you like me because I'm suddenly useful to you. Like, I want to see that breakdown, and I want to see friction there. I still really like Seahawk with Mermista, because I've said this whole time that Mermista is actually into him. We see him influence her in really positive ways. And so I would like them to stay together, but I would like to hear him be very clear about his needs and his boundaries and how he would like to be loved moving forward and have her just sort of step into that because she does care about him. That would be really great. You want, you want to hear something everyone's going to hate? Yes. I actually ship Bo and Mermista. Oh, I, if I shipped Bo with anybody, it would maybe be Seahawk. So, well, all right. Seahawk, I, so Seahawk, okay, let's get into that. <laughs> So Bo, I think, is um, bi-romantic but heterosexual, and he because he seems to date women exclusively, but he's obviously like bi-romantic for for Seahawk. Um, and there's a moment in Seahawk's uh, first episode where Mermista, we see for the first time, she's blushing at Bo specifically at the end. Mm-hmm. And like, I don't know if that was a mistake or what. But I can see Bo's genuine sweetness and confidence and perhaps closeness to Mermista's age as being like a really good counter for her. And like, that'll never happen. Like, don't get me wrong. My pairing is definitely gonna be non-canon. I, I have no, no uh, illusions about that. But like, I can, I can just kind of like, I want to see her interacting with somebody who is like deeply genuine in the way that Seahawk is, but is more socially apt and doesn't need Mermista the way that Seahawk does. Entrapta, please, look who you're working with. Whatever the Horde is giving you, it's not worth the damage you're doing to Etheria. Those monsters outside are infected by the same virus that's infecting She-Ra. Lauren, is there anything else you would like to add before we go to the out? 
yes. Uh, <laughs> Scorpia said she was stuck in a closet, and I know the writers of this show, and I know that was very intentional. Hey, guys, what's up? And also, we heard the quote for the Horde, and I can't believe it took this long for someone in this show to yell for the Horde. Okay. Mm-hmm. I didn't put that together. <laughs> I'm so angry. I played World of Warcraft for so long, guys. <laughs> I mean, they really chewed the scenery with it too. It was it was not subtle. <laughs> I did like well, you said that, and I was just like, my God, my God, they did. <laughs> anyway. So yeah, um, before we go, Trin, we've said so many, so much fire today. I, I can't wait to see fan response. I have to know what's your hottest Shira take that you haven't yet said. Catra is a bottom. <laughs> thanks for listening to she-ra progressive of power if you like our show you can rate and review us on apple podcasts we super appreciate it you can also send in any feedback you have to our email address progressive of power at gmail.com or to our facebook page at facebook.com backslash progressive of power (laughs) 